Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me on the Fox Sports app and at foxsports.com. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram and threads at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places, but there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA, and that is here. So it's been a little bit since the last podcast, and I've been ruminating over this subject for a while, so it may feel a little dated, but it involves LeBron, so it's always current. I can't quite tell what the reason for all the relative silence or indifference about Team USA and its results in the World Cup are about. Is it because the NFL season began the night before their two-point semifinal loss to Germany? Is it because their loss to Canada for the bronze medal occurred the morning of the first Sunday of the NFL season? Or because fans share NBA stars' general indifference to the World Cup versus the Olympics, which, by the way, is unique to the U.S. and our players. The rest of the players around the world consider the World Cup in in basketball as big and meaningful as the World Cup in soccer, and the Olympics, not so much. But whatever the reason... I get the sense that not everybody watched Team USA's loss to Germany, bronze medal game loss to Canada, and Germany's championship win over Serbia. I did. It's easily the steadiest diet of international basketball I've had in quite a while, and I'm still amazed at how entertaining I found it. It was like I did rediscovered an old movie that I had that I used to love but had forgotten about. The player movement, the passing, the back cutting, the spacing, uh, the effort, the pride. Now I've known for a while that the NBA game and the international game are different, but it feels as if the gap has widened. And I still love the NBA, and I've lived through various iterations of it. So I'm not about to just start talking bad about today's game or today's league. 
But I can assure you that if you do feel some kind of way about the way the NBA is played today, you're not alone. I was talking to a veteran NBA player just the other day about the U.S. national team, and he was brutally direct about what he thought about the next generation of players. That they'll never win on the international stage because they don't know how to play fundamental basketball. This isn't old heads in the media or college coaches or this is a current NBA player looking at what is almost basically this generation the the generation that went to the World Cup this year uh, represented Team USA in the World Cup he looks at them and thinks they don't have the fundamental understanding of the game necessary to be able to play and I'll give you a little hint. He played internationally and did quite well because he has the kind of game where he can play the NBA game, but he's very nuanced when it comes to the fundamentals. And so he's capable of playing in the international game as well. And he's comfortable playing in a physical style. And before any of my listeners start scoffing at the idea that Today's generation of players don't know how to play fundamental basketball. Understand, neither that player nor I mean the ability to dribble or shoot or finish with either hand at the rim. Whatever skill you want to point to, that's not what we're talking about. Today's players, when it comes to shooting and ball handling, are as good as they've ever been. Uh, Footwork, that's a conversation for another day. But what we're talking about is the ability to read the game and play without the ball in your hands. To understand timing and spacing and movement. And this is one of these sort of intangible type things that you either understand it, you can feel it, you can see it, or you can't. It's very hard to describe in a podcast Uh, it's even hard to diagram. It's basically, you got to show it within the game. You could show it within tape of somebody who's reading and reacting, who understands how they fit into the bigger picture and can influence, understand how they can influence that bigger picture by where they are every second on the floor. It's about reading defenses and manipulating them to create gaps without moving or dribbling the ball. In the case of the ball handler, it's also the ability to manipulate it and create gaps when you're when you don't have the ball. The NBA, by and large, doesn't rely on any of that. It is hunt a mismatch with your best player, force the defense to help, and then find the open man. Or more often than not, get out on the break, attack the rim, and everybody else flare to spot on the three-point arc. That doesn't take a whole lot of movement or thought from the four guys without the ball. The game gets a little more complex in the postseason in the NBA, but not by much. Now, there's a simple solution to both the predictability of the NBA and any attempt at reasserting our superiority on the international stage. Allow the NBA to be more physical again. There's no need to go back to the 90s, But there's also no need to blow the whistle every time there's the slightest contact or somebody goes flailing to the floor. 
because that's what we're seeing. And it's why players now routinely flail, flail their arms and snap their necks when they drive and a defender brushes up against them or they hit the floor. Hit the floor, there's going to be a whistle. More often than not. Which brings me to a bit of a detour. Something I've wanted to address for a couple of weeks now and just haven't had the time nor desire to spend an entire podcast on this subject. And that's Rich Paul, head of Clutch Agency, LeBron James's best friend from childhood and now an agent, and boyfriend of Adele, if I'm not mistaken. In any case, Rich Paul has been making a last gasp campaign to build a case that LeBron James is greater than Michael Jordan. Maybe you haven't seen it, but he's made the rounds. And the timing is understandable in one respect. It's awful in another, which I will explain in a minute. But the understandable part is that we now have LeBron working his way to a mid-range pull-up jumper against a non-NBA player in open gym as a sign that LeBron is ready to be better than ever next season. That's the problem that's being put out there. At least that's what my social media feed would leave you to believe. The truth is, and has been for several seasons now, that LeBron is at the point of diminishing returns on the court. It's been a great run, but his reliance on his superior size and athleticism, particularly in a league that has shrunk in size over the last 5-10 years, is now being exposed. Don't get me wrong. He's clearly worked on his game and developed some skills that he didn't have when he played in Cleveland the first time. And his footwork in the post is much improved. His mid-range turnaround jumper isn't something he can bank on, but that is much improved as well. It's just that unlike Jordan, who could rely on his footwork and mid-range jumper even when he returned to the Wizards and had clearly lost a step, LeBron can't live off of it. Let's be clear about this too. It's not as if LeBron has evolved into a great shooter. I've been tempted to say that he has but the percentages don't back that up. He doesn't draw nearly as much attention as he once did. He's by and large playing closer to the basket as a point power forward or point center, and yet he's not shooting at a higher efficiency. He no longer, I can't remember the last time he was double teamed. There's no point in double teaming him because he'd rather actually get the ball out of his hands. It's his, his, his passing, his floor vision, he can't move and create anymore, but he can still see the floor. So by double teaming him, you're actually leading him into doing what he would prefer doing or leading him into his strength anyway. His three-point percentage last season, though, was the lowest it's been in the last six seasons. And that didn't stop him from taking nearly a third of his shots from beyond the arc. He's taken a larger percentage of his overall number of shots per game from three-point range since he came to L.A. than at any other time in his career. Now, I was surprised to find that his mid-range shooting has actually fallen off in recent years, at least percentage-wise. And what that tells me is that he's improved at that turnaround step-back shot, which is the thing that caught my attention 
because he just didn't have that shot before. But it also suggests that his overall mid-range game has not evolved. I had to laugh when I saw a comparison my FS1 colleague Nick Wright made of Jordan in his last year with the Wizards and what LeBron did last season with the Lakers. <laughs> he, he used their scoring averages, of course, which showed, I think, LeBron averaging about 10 more points per game than Jordan did. No mention of the scoring averages for teams or all players in the league and the relativity of them because, well, that would kill the only metric anyone could pose that LeBron is a better player than Jordan at this or any other age. Give Jordan last year's Lakers team and they're not getting swept by the Nuggets. I guarantee you that. Because Jordan is not losing three games with a chance to win them in the final minutes. Not even the Jordan that played for the Wizards. They're also not finishing with a 43-39 and 39 record because Jordan would have played in all 82 games, not the mere 55 that LeBron played. But Rich Paul isn't trying to make a case for LeBron being greater than Jordan because of something he's done on the court. It's because of something he's dealt with off the court. He's saying LeBron is greater because he has had to endure more than Jordan because of two reasons social media, and playing in the shadow of Michael Jordan. More pressure, more, more attention, more scrutiny, more criticism. It's an argument I find hilarious for several reasons. One, Rich Paul wasn't around when Michael Jordan came through. He was graduating high school when Jordan retired from the Bulls. He wasn't in NBA circles. He doesn't know anything about the coverage or scrutiny Jordan had to deal with. Rich Paul actually suggested that Peter Vesey, the legendary New York sports writer, was the toughest criticism that Jordan faced. Rich Paul apparently never heard of Sam Smith, who covered the Bulls, who wrote a book, The Jordan Rules, where he was not always so kind to Michael Jordan, regardless of what his accomplishments were, or Bob Ryan, or T.J. Simers. There's some other, some other guys who did not hold their tongue or their pen when it came to assessing players. And those are just scribes. Truth is, Chicago at the time may have had some of the toughest columnists in the country. Jordan's critics weren't on TV picking at him across a desk in a studio because that wasn't really a thing in his day. And if you're concerned about two people on TV talking about you, then your attention is in the wrong place. Now, his critics, Jordan's critics, were in the locker room, an interview room, asking him pointed questions in person, face to face. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The questions that LeBron gets in person are softballs. I've been there. It's sometimes embarrassing. For my industry, that is. On one level, I get it. If LeBron doesn't like you, 
then you and your job depends on access to him. I get it. I get it. I wouldn't ever want to be in that situation, but I get it. People got to keep their jobs. They got to feed their families. But <laughs> I just imagine LeBron having someone like TJ Simers, who I worked with in San Diego and became a Los Angeles Times columnist. I don't think I've ever met a more acerbic writer than TJ Simers. LeBron would have had somebody like TJ banned from the locker room. And having been there, as far as in-person coverage and attention and pure numbers is concerned, I can tell you there was no discernible difference between Jordan and LeBron as far as how much attention and scrutiny they received. If Jordan didn't get as much criticism, it's because he underpromised and overdelivered. He never told people he was the best. He just repeatedly showed them. He didn't point to injuries or shortcomings in his team when he fell to the Pistons all those years. He went back into the gym and came back stronger, tougher, better. And because Jordan played far more games every season, he had to be available for the reporters and the cameras more often. Social media, yeah, social media didn't exist at that time. But social media can't reach a player when he's between the four lines. It actually can't impact him at all unless he lets it. Which, let's face it, LeBron does. LeBron has invited a good deal of the scrutiny and attention and criticism. Even his biggest fans have to concede that LeBron is an attention seeker. He loves hijacking the spotlight. If the attention is not on him, he's going to find a way to draw it to him. See the Denver Nuggets winning the championship and LeBron floating out there. Well, I'm, I don't know if I'm going to come back and play. When it comes to comparisons to Jordan, he's the one who wore 23. And then when he went to Miami and couldn't wear it because the Heat had retired it to honor Jordan. And then he said, nobody should be allowed to wear it. But when he went back to Cleveland, he started wearing it again. It would take a 60-minute episode to run down all the times that LeBron has changed his stance on a topic. He was a hell no, I'm not playing without fans when that first came up to resume the season during the pandemic. Then said he wasn't aware that the possibility of it happening was being discussed. And that, of course, he would play. The I wasn't fully aware defense is a common one for him. The relentless torrent of opinions and criticism on social media can be exhausting, no doubt. But there's a simple solution. Don't look at it. When something I've said or written causes a reaction that floods my feed with venom, I just keep those apps closed for 24 hours or so. It eventually dies down and nothing has changed. And let's keep it real. Jordan had all kinds of opportunities to say something controversial or inappropriate or ignorant or uninformed. He had microphones and cameras in his face every day of his 15 seasons. Now, how many uproars do you remember him creating? How many times did he say something that created a distraction for his team or that he walked back? It's funny, when it comes to counting, 
I have a vision of Jordan holding up six fingers, representing his six championships. Not something he was going to do, something he'd done. And when I think of LeBron counting, I think of him on a stage right when he arrived in Miami saying, not five, not six, not seven, about the rings he was going to win. And ultimately didn't. And has been mocked ever since for it. Now, whose fault is that? Is that social media's fault? Is that the sports media's fault? The more I think about Rich Paul making a case for LeBron, it's the same approach that LeBron has taken. Let me tell you why I'm the greatest, not let me show you why I'm the greatest. Maybe the funniest and most naive comment Rich Paul made was asking who Jordan was compared to, as if he didn't have a legendary predecessor, which he didn't. He had several of them, including one of the iconic, greatest, entertaining, dominant duos that the sport has ever seen, Magic Johnson and Larry Bird. The two guys who were merely recognized for saving the league and putting it on the trajectory it now enjoys. And Jordan by anyone's estimation, only steepened that trajectory and took the league's popularity even higher. The ratings for when he was in the finals have still not been beaten to this day. If halfway through his career, he was no longer drawing comparisons, it's because there were none to be made. It was, who's going to be the next Jordan? Not, Who's going to top Jordan? He'd left them all in the dust. Now let's get to the idea that LeBron had to battle being constantly compared to Jordan. This might be the most aud audacious explanation for the road being tougher. LeBron wore Jordan's jersey, for God's sake. Kobe received that comparison as well. He denied that he was mimicking Jordan, though in those early years it certainly looked like it, intentionally or otherwise. But here's the important part. He never complained about the challenge of trying to surpass Jordan. Kobe would have had an issue with anyone saying about him what Rich Paul said about LeBron, that Jordan made it harder for him. No. He saw Jordan as setting an example and standard that he wanted to exceed. He saw Jordan as setting a bar, a goal, a target, and was thankful for it. Rich Paul sees it as a hindrance, a deterrent, a burden. I guess it all comes down to mindset. You either see challenges as opportunities or setbacks. And yes, I know Rich Paul has been wildly successful. And I truly admire him for what he's done. Truly. I can tip my hat to what he has built as an agent and a businessman and still take issue with him concocting a storyline that puts his biggest benefactor, LeBron, on a pedestal that he has not earned, based on what I have seen with my own eyes. It's actually a really bad time for Rich Paul or anyone else to try to make a case that LeBron faced stiffer competition than Jordan. Faced any sort of battle, challenge, greater than Jordan faced. Because what we like to say is that, well, the game's harder today than back then because the skills have, been, have risen so much. 
and the game's faster and more athletic. You know, that mythical talk about Jordan playing against plumbers and carpenters and garbage men. I was there. They weren't plumbers, carpenters, and garbage men. Or if they were, they were plumbers, carpenters, and garbage men like the ones that have been busting Team USA's ass in international play lately. Again, I saw another clip from my colleague, Nick Wright, who credited LeBron for taking Sasha Pavlovich to the finals. Pavlovich played 10 years in the NBA. The guys that just smacked Team USA couldn't even last half that long. In other words, the competition LeBron has, has been facing the last five years is as big a reason for his continued dominance as his personal endurance. And should we look at the teams LeBron beat to get to those finals? That first final back in 2007? It was a Wizards team led by Antoine Jameson. I would hope that LeBron could lead a team past a Wizards team led by Antoine Jameson. A Nets team that started Mikey Moore and Jason Collins. A Detroit Pistons team that had lost its soul and defensive backbone, Ben Wallace. And then, of course, faced San Antonio, a real team, and they got swept out. It was no contest. The difference in having to score with legit big men on the floor, by the way, and a certain level of physicality allowed has exposed just how ridiculously easy LeBron has had it the last few years compared to what Jordan was facing at the end of his career. Jordan led the league in usage rate eight times during his career. He also played all 82 games nine times, including his last season at age 39. Think about that. Jordan played all 82 for the Washington Wizards, not a hope in hell of winning a championship. Didn't even make the playoffs. Still played 37 minutes a night. Still had an outstanding defensive rating of 103. Again, take it into context. Scoring was not at the same level. So 103 is, today, 103 would be all NBA first team, well, defensive player of the year, probably. It's not that. But still, still very good. And for a 39-year-old playing all 82 games... Defensive rating of 103, pretty, pretty damn good. Far greater defense than anything we've seen out of LeBron consistently over the last two, three years. And any idea how many times LeBron has played all 82 games in a season in his career? Once. And he hasn't played more than 56 the last three seasons. Want to know what his defensive rating was last season? 113. And he's only 38. Since we're on the subject of international accomplishments, you got me going now. Because when we start to really look at everything when it comes to Jordan and LeBron, let's look at everything. Let's look at their international accomplishments. Jordan competed internationally four times. In the Pan American Games in 1983, the 1984 Olympics, Those were both before he had entered the NBA. And then again in 1992 in the Tournament of the Americas and the Olympics with the Dream Team. He won gold all four times. 
LeBron, he's played in five major international tournaments. 2004, 2008, and 2012 Olympics. 2006 World Cup. 2007 FIBA America's Championship. Medals. Three gold, two bronze. He was not considered the best player on any of those teams. Jordan, meanwhile, was regarded as the best player on the best team in Team USA history, the Dream Team. And, going back, was the leading scorer on the 1984 gold medal winning Olympic team. So as my FS1 TV colleague Shady McCoy often says, what are we talking about? Answer? Not about LeBron being better than Jordan anymore. That case is closed. And the verdict is in. LeBron and his spokespeople probably would be best served not to appeal. Because, as was just illustrated by the World Cup, any added evidence or information is not going to be in his favor. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And in the next episode, I want to dive into a piece that I just wrote for Fox Sports on Giannis Antetokounmpo and what I learned about where he is and why he may have come out and said that he's not totally sold on staying in Milwaukee. What could have led to that? What could it mean as far as his future in the NBA with the Bucks? All of that. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.